We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 340 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. It is the summer solstice, the day on which we have the most daylight hours of the year and the day on which we officially begin summer. Happy summer 2022. You know, the weather in the Washington, D.C. area over the last three days was non-summer-like, but in a good way. Uh, Now, we know that that won't continue, okay? We know that the oppressive heat is coming, but summer is a good thing. Summer is a happy time of year, so be happy. As Bobby McFerrin said many years ago, don't worry and be happy. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We like to be happy on this show because the thing is, we can't have faith that our Washington, D.C. area sports teams will make us happy. So the onus is on us as fans to find other means of happiness. Uh, I hope that this installment of the podcast makes you happy. Congress is not happy with Dan Snyder. Uh, Danny on Monday again said no to Congress. Uh, Danny on Monday again denied Congress, which of course wants Dan to testify at this congressional hearing on Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, Still no subpoena from Congress for Dan. Why is that? And what ultimately is Congress after with Dan? Well, coming up next segment, uh, the first of two special guests on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I welcome on sports law, entertainment law, and intellectual property attorney Stephanie Weisenberger, a contributor to Conduct Detrimental, which is a sports law podcast. Uh, Stephanie is from the D.C. area. She has followed and monitored and discussed the commander's legal happenings quite a bit. And she next segment is going to give us her legal expertise on what's going on between Dan Snyder and Congress. Also on the show, another special guest, Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun on the Orioles-Angelos family feud and what that ultimately could mean for the Nationals and Orioles in the Masson dispute. Uh, this is a crazy time right now 
for baseball in the area. Both the Nats and the O's could be up for sale at the same time, sooner rather than later. Uh, The Nats already are up for sale to at least some extent. The O's soon could follow. Uh, Jeff Barker knows the Angelos family. He has been covering the ongoing turmoil of the Angelos family. And Jeff has covered the Masson dispute for years. So he's the perfect person to have on for this stuff, especially as we on Tuesday night will begin an actual series between the Nats and O's. Game one of a two-game series for the Nats at the O's is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Thursday night, we have the 2022 NBA Draft, in which our Wizards have the number 10 overall pick. Tommy Shepard on Monday did a lengthy pre-draft press conference. And so later in the show, I'll play for you some of the best of what the man who runs Wizards basketball operations, Tommy Shepard, had to say. And I'll explore two realities for the Wizards uh, that you do want to be aware of going into Thursday night's NBA draft. Uh, Did you see the Terry McLaurin update that we got on Monday morning? Now, I am not going to go crazy over every little Terry McLaurin item that pops up. I am not going to be the dog who chases every Terry McLaurin stick that gets thrown. Uh, As I have said, I do believe that the commanders and Terry will get a contract extension done this offseason. There are too many reasons for the commanders to get this extension done for it not to get done. As you may recall, Ron Rivera at his post-minicamp practice press conference last Wednesday morning spoke as optimistically as ever about a contract extension with Terry getting done, perhaps we now know more of that story. Uh, ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler on ESPN Sports Center on Monday morning said that the commanders last week tried to intensify contract talks with Terry, perhaps even hoped to get a deal done and have Terry report on Thursday for the final day of the mandatory minicamp, but no deal was struck and Terry ultimately no-showed all three days of the mandatory minicamp. And so the dance continues between the commanders and Terry McLaurin. Remember, it's not time to panic about the commanders and Terry not getting a contract extension done until the start of training camp. And then it's time to panic, okay? Then it's time to go nuts. But we're not there yet, okay? 2022 commanders training camp doesn't begin until July 27th. So we need to pace ourselves, okay? We do have time before we arrive at panic time. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Atomic Style 1969. How about that Twitter name? Atomic Style 1969 on the name Commanders. Uh, writes Atomic Style, I've tried... I can't take commanders seriously. It's so lame. (laughs) I hear you, Atomic Style. I hear you, man. Uh, By the way, speaking of Atomic and the commanders, have you seen the clip that went viral of commanders players last Thursday on the last day of the team's mandatory minicamp on a practice field uh, dancing to what sounds like Atomic Dog by George Clinton? Uh, Now, I'm not positive that the song was Atomic Dog, but the song sounds like Atomic Dog. And you in the clip see number 34, which if you go by the commander's roster would be Kristen Holmes, the corner who the commanders took in the seventh round of the 2022 NFL draft out of Oklahoma State. And you see number 19, which if you go by the commander's roster would be receiver Markin Michelle dancing 
including each guy at one point nearly doing the splits. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Tweet from Dino of something that I discussed on Monday's show, episode 339. The Capitals this past Saturday announcing that Nicholas Backstrom underwent left hip resurfacing surgery this past Friday and that Backstrom would, quote, begin his rehabilitation and lengthy recovery process immediately, end quote. So the Caps didn't even put a timetable on Backstrom's recovery. The Caps simply said that the recovery process would be lengthy. Uh, writes Dino, longtime success stories, Nats and Caps, won the whole thing. Now old stars fading through injury. Steven Strasburg and Nicholas Backstrom. Lots of uncertainty with both teams going forward. Time for the Commanders and Wizards to start winning again to pick up their end of the slack. Uh, yes, Dino, it has been time for the Commanders and Wizards to start winning again for a long time. The Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have a mere one playoff win since the start of the 2000 season. The Bullets slash Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. I'm not sure which fact is more pathetic, but both facts are really bad. Uh, you know, I saw this tweet the other day. The tweet was from at Slam Studios. People underrate just how bad the Wizards have been in recent NBA history. Since their last 50-win season, the Spurs have had 26 50-win seasons. The U.S. has had eight presidents. LeBron James was born. The first case of HIV slash AIDS was reported. And there, as in the Wizards are, nowhere close to one, as in a 50-win season, anytime soon. So yeah, that was the tweet that I saw in that really crystallizes just how freaking long it has been since the Wizards last advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs or had a 50-win regular season. The Bullets in the 1978-79 season went 54-28 and in the regular season and lost in the NBA Finals. That season, the 1978-79 NBA season, is the last season in which the Bullets slash Wizards had a 50-win regular season or advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs. So 1979, I mean, think about that, 1979. That was the last year in which the Bullets slash Wizards had a 50-win regular season. That was the last year in which the Bullets slash Wizards advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs. 1979 also was the year in which the law firm of Paulson and Nace was founded. But unlike the Wizards, Paulson and Nace has been performing at a high level for years. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call Paulson and Nace, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. The law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. We have a saying on this podcast. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule 
a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. All right, Dan Snyder versus Congress. Uh, The clash continues. Uh, It is on Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 a.m. Eastern that we will have a second congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. The committee on Congress that has been investigating the commander's workplace misconduct and financial scandals has been the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. The committee on June 1st put out a press release announcing that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Roger Christamorthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, had sent letters to Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting that they appear before the committee at this hearing on June 22nd. The letters requested responses from Dan and Roger by June 6th. The actual responses didn't come until this past Wednesday, June 15th, when Dan said no and Roger said yes, although Roger will be testifying virtually. Uh, Dan said no to the committee via a letter from one of his uh, many attorneys, Karen Patton Seymour. Uh, She sent a letter to Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Roger Christamorthy. Well, we then this past Friday had Chairwoman Maloney sending a letter asking Dan Snyder to reconsider not testifying at the congressional hearing this Wednesday, as Chairwoman Maloney said that Dan could testify virtually, as Roger Goodell is going to be doing. And uh, Representative Maloney said that Dan's reasons for not testifying were based on things that weren't true. Uh, Chairwoman Maloney, in the letter, gave Dan a deadline to respond of the following Monday, i.e. yesterday, June 20th, at 9 a.m. Eastern. Well, Dan did respond, and he again said no. Uh, Karen Patton Seymour on Monday morning sent a letter to Chairwoman Maloney denying the committee's request for Dan to reconsider testifying at this congressional hearing on Wednesday. Karen Patton Seymour, in her letter, uh, cited a business conflict for Dan Snyder, saying that, quote, Mr. Snyder's business conflict was scheduled long before then and cannot be rescheduled. Moreover, your letter's suggestion that Mr. Snyder may testify remotely does not address my concern that a virtual appearance would not sufficiently protect Mr. Snyder's interest in having his counsel physically present with him and quote, uh, Karen Patton Seymour in her letter also said that, quote, the Snyders and the team remain fully willing to cooperate with the committee and are eager to share the cultural transformation undertaken by the commanders if the committee is interested in obtaining that information in a manner consistent with appropriate due process and fairness protections and quote, and then a spokesperson for the committee said the following in a statement on Monday morning, quote, if Mr. Snyder was truly committed to cooperating with the committee's investigation, he would have accepted the committee's invitation to testify about the commander's toxic workplace culture 
As the chairwoman's letter made clear, the committee has been more than accommodating, even allowing Mr. Snyder to testify remotely from France. His refusal to testify sends an unmistakable signal that Mr. Snyder has something to hide and is afraid of coming clean to the American public and addressing major worker protection concerns facing the NFL. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders. And quote, I am very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, sports law, entertainment law, and intellectual property attorney, Stephanie Weisenberger, a contributor to Conduct Detrimental, which is a sports law podcast. You can follow Stephanie on Twitter at sweisenberger underscore. Uh, Stephanie is from the Washington, D.C. area. She went to Wooten High School in Rockville, Maryland. And Stephanie has been following all of the legal happenings with the commanders, and she's with us now. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm happy to be here, and there is no shortage of updates in this never-ending commander's saga that has been now going on for, I don't know, two years at this point. Yeah, the summer of 2020, uh, that's when this all started. That's when the workplace misconduct scandal and the name change and the ownership turmoil all began and uh, nothing for the team that we now call the Commanders has been the same since. So this game, this dance between Dan Snyder and Congress goes on. Let's bottom line this. Why hasn't Congress just subpoenaed Dan? Congress has requested that Dan testify at this hearing on Wednesday. If Congress wants Dan to testify so badly, why hasn't Congress just used its subpoena power to get Dan to testify on Wednesday? I think it honestly has to do with the fact that they're trying to give him the opportunity to make things right on his own and without having to use, you know, these legal remedies and these legal proceedings that they are able to do. I think they're trying to make an example out of him. And, you know, he's really not living up to what he should be. And he needs to step forward. I think at some point, obviously, now we know that he is definitely not going to be appearing virtually or otherwise on Wednesday, they may have to subpoena him to appear because, you know, these toxic workplace environment was under his leadership. And according to the witnesses that have already testified, he was heavily involved in the operations of the commander's team. And so he's clearly a key witness. And I would not be surprised if they ultimately subpoena him. Does Congress have enough time to subpoena Dan Snyder, given that the hearing will take place on Wednesday, beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern? Yeah, I don't know if necessarily they would subpoena him for this specific hearing on Wednesday. I would potentially envision them holding another hearing in a few weeks or a month or something like that, just to you know give him reasonable notice of that subpoena. But at that point, it kind of is up to Snyder and his attorneys as to whether they want to comply. But if he does not comply with that subpoena, you know, then the committee can hold him in contempt. And, you know, that obviously would not be a good situation for Snyder, both publicly and personally. In terms of the mechanics of a subpoena, would Dan Snyder have to be physically served with the subpoena? Yes. So the subpoena is essentially an order that would legally obligate a person or an entity to produce documents or testify. So I guess technically they could subpoena the commanders and name Snyder or someone else as part of the commanders 
to testify um, on the workplace toxicity. However, they if they wanted Snyder specifically, which it seems like they do, they would have to serve that on Dan Snyder, and then he would probably then try and get a court order quashing that subpoena, which would be basically his only remedy to not comply apart from then the committee being able to enforce that subpoena and holding him in contempt. Do you think that Dan Snyder would have a legitimate chance at getting a court order to quash the subpoena or not really? In my opinion, I mean, it's obviously up to the judge's discretion. I don't envision that just because this is the House Oversight Committee who is conducting this widespread investigation and it's very public. And so I don't think it would be in the court's best interest either to, you know, use this as an example and quash the subpoena. I think they would do the latter and use this as an example to, you know, make him be held accountable in this position of leadership. One more on the subpoena, because I find this so interesting, and I think that this is a key aspect of what's going on here. So the belief is that Dan Snyder is out of the country, and he, of course, has this super yacht. So it may not even be that he is in another country. It may be that he is at sea somewhere. And, you know, maybe his thinking is, hey, I'm just going to stay on my super yacht for like the next month. And if Congress tries to subpoena me, hey, Congress, you know, catch me if you can. (laughs) But I mean, if he is trying to play that much of a cat and mouse game here, how does Congress handle that? Yeah, that is where it could get very, very interesting. (laughs) Uh, They might be able to try and be able to serve him using an alternative method whether that's, you know, mailing a piece, uh, mailing the subpoena. But if he's, you know, floating in the middle of the ocean, that probably wouldn't get to him either. So it'll be interesting to see whether he comes back from France and this award ceremony that he is apparently attending, and that's why he can't testify, which I personally don't think is a great excuse in this instance. (laughs) But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and of course, this all comes back to Dan Snyder having no interest in testifying before Congress and honestly having nothing to gain by testifying before Congress, but also potentially having a lot to lose by testifying before Congress if the House Democrats set a perjury trap for Dan. We're talking about Dan Snyder and Congress with Stephanie Weisenberger, a sports law, entertainment law, and intellectual property attorney. Uh, She's also a contributor to Conduct Detrimental which is a sports law podcast. You know, this whole situation with Dan Snyder in Congress is filled with layers, including the political layer. There is this clear partisan divide with congressional involvement with the commanders. Democrats are for the involvement. Republicans are against the involvement. There's a widespread belief that the House of Representatives is going to flip to the Republicans come the midterm elections in November. And so time seemingly is starting to run out here for Congress with the commanders. Uh, We from Representative Carolyn B. Maloney on Friday did have the introductions of two bills related to the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. But uh, ultimately, what do you think that the House Democrats want from Dan Snyder? Yeah, I think they definitely obviously want him to testify and speak on these issues. Because like I said before, you know, it was all of this was under his leadership. He's been named by several witnesses um, as individually, you know, sexual conduct allegations from him personally. And so I think they are trying to use this as an example for workplace conduct across, you know, the country involving other big companies, because the NFL is such a big 
entity and it's obviously a very public entity and you have people of all sorts of backgrounds tuning into the news lately that's involving the NFL and the Washington commanders. And I think they're definitely trying to use it as an example, but they're probably thinking in the back of their minds too, that they need to hear Snyder testify as soon as possible in case, you know, this change comes and this investigation no longer is going on. The way I think about it, Congress doesn't need Dan Snyder to testify. Uh, The House Democrats obviously want Dan Snyder to testify. And I think some of this is motivated by just the theater of Dan Snyder potentially testifying. But whatever the House Democrats are trying to accomplish with this involvement with the commanders, I think can be accomplished by never speaking with Dan Snyder. So if it turns out that Dan never testifies before Congress, either he just never complies with the request or he's never actually subpoenaed, or whatever happens. Can Congress still do what it wants to do with this commander situation? Yeah, I think they definitely still can accomplish it, especially because they just released a few bills based on, you know, non-disclosure agreements in the workplace and all of that, like you mentioned. So I think they definitely can still accomplish, you know, what they're trying to. However, they could probably accomplish a lot more based on Snyder's testimony or based on the NFL releasing the report, if there even is a report. Um, I'm under the impression that, you know, besides communications and emails and maybe text messages about that report, there probably might not even be a written report because the NFL knew all along that they didn't want any evidence of this in writing. Yeah, that's the thing with the whole hashtag release the report movement. Uh, I don't think that there is a report. Now, there may be notes, there may be some things that could be released, but in terms of an actual written report by Beth Wilkinson, um, I would not be surprised at all if, in fact, uh, such a report does not exist. So we know that Roger Goodell will be testifying at the hearing on Wednesday. He'll be doing so virtually. Uh, What do you anticipate from Roger? Yeah, that's going to be very interesting because he can obviously plead the fifth if he wants to. And so if his attorneys are advising him to not give any details of pretty much anything aside from, you know, surface level allegations or answer on a surface level basis, he may just assert his Fifth Amendment right to every single question that the committee asks. And, you know, I think there would be a lot of public backlash from that if he did. But at the same time, the NFL has shown that they do what they can to protect the owners. And in this case, Dan Snyder is still one of the NFL owners. And so I could definitely see him pleading the fifth on almost every single question that the committee asks. <laughs> that would be quite the scene. Roger Goodell repeatedly pleading the fifth. Uh, from your perspective as a lawyer, putting aside you know morality and what's right and what's wrong here, but If you were Dan Snyder's attorney, and by the way, he seems to have like a million attorneys, right? But if you were one of Dan Snyder's one million attorneys, uh, what would you be advising him throughout this entire process? How would you be approaching all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think any one of his lawyers probably would have done exactly what they did in terms of, you know, saying at first that he's not going to testify without documents or without being uh, shown who the witnesses are that they're going to be asking him about or what instances they're going to be asking him about. However, the committee in their letter on Friday said that they are willing to accommodate Snyder and give him those documents so that he can adequately prepare. And I think, you know, at this point when they are exceeding 
what the committee really has to do in these types of investigations, which um, the chairwoman has said in her letters. There comes a point where I think his reputation and the publicity around this is just getting worse and worse. And so if I were him, you know, I might just own up to things because things are only going to get worse. I think there is no chance things are going to get better for Dan Snyder. Wow. Well, I can, I can say that there's no chance that Dan Snyder is going to own up to things, but that's interesting. So you think that we really potentially here are looking at the end of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders. He has survived so much. You know, there's a belief now that he just needs to ride this out and he'll come out on the other side. But you don't think that that's going to happen? Yeah, whether it's from Congress or the NFL, because, you know, separately we have the Deshaun Watson case going on and the NFL PA has come out and said, if Deshaun Watson is given a substantial suspension, the NFL PA is going to start targeting the owners because, you know, there have been several instances of sexual misconduct on the owner's side. And so they haven't been held accountable by the NFL either. And I think we might be seeing a change here in terms of accountability for both the owners, but also players. Yeah, that is a worthy point to bring up uh, this entire scenario from the perspective of the NFL Players Association. So with the commanders, we have not one but two scandals. We have the workplace misconduct scandal, and we have the financial scandal. Now, the financial scandal may ultimately go nowhere, but you gained a lot of attention with a series of tweets that you put out back in April uh, regarding the financial scandal. And what you said is that your theory has been that Dan Snyder has been trying to hide financial improprieties for quite some time. And you put together a really interesting thread on why you feel this way. I wonder if you could summarize that thread. Yeah, so the thread, thank you for bringing it up. I, I was very surprised by the widespread attention that I got. But clearly, <laughs> yeah. so everyone is following the Washington Commanders and Dan Snyder saga. So essentially, you know, when the minority owners were trying to sell their shares of the team, they essentially said, you know, we have an interested buyer but they are obviously going to want to take a look at the books and records and all the financial records of the team prior to, you know, formalizing this sale of the team. And when that happened, Snyder's team basically tried to block that sale. And so my theory was, you know, combined with the fact that they had this seller that was willing to pay X amount of dollars and come in and really the team and be a good new partner for Washington commanders, you know, Snyder basically tried to block that. And in turn, one of the minority owners, um, accountants basically kind of threatened him in this text message that said, Hey, if you don't stop messing around, you know, I know some damaging information, you know, I know about this damaging information, so you better let it go forward or I'm going to release this. And so my theory was kind of Dan Snyder has been trying to hide financial improprieties for some time. John Moog, the minority owner's accountant who sent that text message, obviously has knowledge of the books and records of the commanders as their accountant. And I was kind of thinking, you know, he doesn't want someone to come in and buy out the team or enter into, you know, take any more shares of the company because he knows that he might get caught if there is an in-depth review of these financial records. And so, 
It's interesting. You know, obviously we've heard about um, them potentially trying to reclassify ticket sales for games as entertainment events so that, you know, they don't have to share that portion of revenue with the other NFL teams. But overall, I think Dan Snyder has been up to some fishy behavior, um, whether it's financials or sexual misconduct or any other allegations, pretty much since he has become the owner of the team. And obviously, you're from the D.C. area. I think we both know that the Redskins were never, you know, anyone's favorite team to root for. And I think that's only going to continue and, and get worse. I think there are a lot of people listening to this right now, nodding their heads and pumping their fists and hoping that you are so right with what you just said. It is something else, the extent to which the NFL has stood by Dan Snyder. And let's make this clear. The NFL has never needed Dan Snyder, and no sane person would ever argue that Dan has done a good job as owner of the team that we now call the Commanders. Like, even if you are on Dan's side with this congressional involvement, and some people are. I mean, a lot of people view what Congress is doing as congressional overreach. I mean, personally, I think there's a very compelling argument to be made that Congress should not be spending its time dealing with the inner workings of a football team. And I say that understanding that the workplace misconduct scandal is terrible and should have never happened. And Dan presided over the scandal and may have, in fact, uh, perpetuated the scandal. But why do you think it is that the NFL has stood by Dan Snyder? The NFL has never needed Dan Snyder. He has not did a good job as owner of the team. You could get somebody else in here uh, to be owner of this team, which is in a top 10 television market and right now isn't uh, generating nearly the revenue that the team should be generating. Uh, what is the Stephanie Weisenberger theory for why Dan has lasted this long as owner of the team? I mean, I think in some aspects, it definitely has to do with Roger Goodell and his decisions. Obviously, as the commissioner of the league, technically the owners are who employs him. And so I think there's a conflict of interest there in terms of, you know, doing what's right, but also having to stand behind all of the owners of the various uh, NFL teams. And I think hopefully that everything has kind of piled up now at this point, and it's no longer just the name change, or it's no longer just the financial improprieties or just the sexual misconduct allegation. There are so many things that have happened recently that, you know, I think at some point, whether it's by the end of the year or next year, there is going to have to be a change because I think the owners of the other teams may get tired of having to defend one of their colleagues because it's getting a little ridiculous, all of these allegations. And, you know, the public is only getting more and more interested in everything as more things come out. So I think the NFL may have to step in and really, you know, ask the owners for a vote because that's how Dan Snyder would essentially be kicked out of owning the team. Yeah, I mean, the way that I have looked at it is at some point, there is a Dan Snyder breaking point for the other NFL owners who ultimately are the ones who determine whether Dan stays or goes as owner of the team. We have not reached that breaking point yet. Maybe we never do reach that breaking point, but then again, maybe we do. Stephanie Weisenberger, sports entertainment and intellectual property attorney, contributor to Conduct Detrimental, which is a sports law podcast. It was very nice having you on my podcast. Thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. Thank you for having me on. And I look forward to, you know, seeing what happens on Wednesday. 
All right. It was nice talking with Stephanie Weisenberger. And up next, I'll chat with Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, Jeff has been doing some terrific reporting on the Angelos family feud, uh, this ugly rift that has developed within the Angelos family, which of course owns the Orioles. We'll discuss what's going on with the Angelos family, whether the O's are about to be sold as the Nationals are in the process of at least some portion of the team being sold, and what this could all mean for the Masson dispute, which has been going on forever between the Nats and the O's, and which Jeff has covered for years. A great insight from Jeff Barker on what the heck is going on with the Angelos family and what could be happening with the Masson dispute is straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we on Tuesday night at 7.05 have the start of the 2022 Battle of the Beltways. Uh, two-game series for the Nationals at the Orioles. Uh, this is the first of two two-game series between the two teams this season. The other series will take place at the Nats on September 13th and 14th. Uh, the ownership groups for the Nats and Doe's, as you likely know, cannot stand each other. Uh, the Lerner family owns the Nats, the Angelos family owns the O's. The two ownership groups for years have been embroiled in the Masson dispute. The Masson dispute, by the way, started in 2012. Here we are in 2022, and the Masson dispute continues. But what makes the situation even more compelling right now is that the learners are selling the Nats, if not the entirety of the team, then at least a portion of the team. And the Angelos family is in the midst of a bitter Family feud. Uh, Louis Angelos on June 9th filed a lawsuit against his brother John Angelos and their mother Georgia Angelos for control of the team. Uh, this is the father, Peter Angelos, has been in failing health for years. Uh, the lawsuit read in part, quote, the purpose of this lawsuit is simple. Peter Angelos created a trust for the express purpose of ensuring that his sons would share equally in decision making and inheritance of all family assets, including the Orioles. John Angelos, however, has been working secretly to undermine his father's intentions and to gain unilateral control. Lou Angelos is compelled to bring this action to set things right. End quote. Uh, among the other items in the lawsuit was John Angelos, according to Louis Angelos, potentially wanting to move the Orioles to Tennessee. 
John Angelos on June 13th issued a statement saying that the O's will never leave Baltimore. Quote, as long as Fort McHenry is standing watch over the Inner Harbor, the Orioles will remain in Baltimore. End quote. So where is all of this going and what might all of this ultimately mean for the Nats and the O's in the Masson dispute. Well, a man who has been covering the Angelos family feud and has covered the Masson dispute for years is a man who joins me now. Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. You can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Sun, Jeff Barker. Jeff, it's great to talk to you. How are you? Great, Al. Thanks. Good to be back with you. I appreciate you coming on. So when this lawsuit that Louis Angelos filed against John and Georgia Angelos came out on June 9th, were people genuinely surprised or had it been rumored or suspected that there existed this major rift within the Angelos family? So I think the way to say it is that if there were a tell-all book that came out about the Queen and the royal family, I, 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 I would have been about as surprised with that, which is to say exceedingly surprised. So, so I, I, I know this family pretty well, and they, they are so – it's a family of lawyers. I mean, Peter, John, and Lewis. And they're, you know, I, I get along fine with them, but they're, they're just very closely guarded. They're, it's the kind of thing where – if you ask one of them a question, there's a five-second pause because they want to wait and, and think about their answer. And so, I, I, you know, journalists like to say that we're, we're so on top of everything that nothing surprises us. No, this was completely stunning um, to, to, to read in a lawsuit about a very private family in such detail. I, I was absolutely floored. It really is something. I know that it's impossible to predict the future, but I'm going to ask you to do that anyway. Uh, if you had to bottom line this, Louis Angelos's lawsuit against John and Georgia Angelos, does this ultimately go to court or does this ultimately get settled? Well, I, if I had to predict, you never know how these things are going to go. I, I think it, it probably would settle because that would be so preferable for everybody involved. Because as you know, Al, if this thing proceeds, then you get depositions and, and testimony. Uh, it's, it's, you know, they probably don't want any more of a spectacle than they already have. And it already is a, just a stunning spectacle. And we'll see, you know, we're already interested in several weeks from now uh, when, when John Angelos and George's lawyers respond, we're fascinated to see what they're going to say. But, but this thing was just so full of, of very, very personal, what would seem like private family details. Um, it, it was amazing. But, but no, I, I think for that reason, I think they will settle. And, and we can, you know, we, we can talk more about mass. And I, I feel like the settlement could, and I'm saying could because it's speculation, could involve the team being sold and, and could involve some disposition of Masson as well. Yeah, so let's get into that. Uh, the rumor for years has been that whenever Peter Angelos's time comes, uh, that the Angelos family will sell the Orioles. Now we have this lawsuit. Either way, do you think that we are headed toward the O's being sold? Yeah, I I think, uh, and I don't know, and, and uh, you know, the, the, but the reason I think it's certainly possible is first of all. I know that there, there are already lots of potential bidders lined up, and I, I mentioned some of them in the story. I, I know that that Major League Baseball has, and I, I did a piece on this um, last week, has encouraged Cal Ripken Jr. to be part 
of an ownership or man i say or management group because i don't know you know you you need a a a huge money guy and then you need people who have baseball expertise and local connections so cal would of course fall into the latter category um but yeah i i feel like um that that masson would be part of it because i feel like if there's a sale Masson has to be part of it, and I feel like there will be a sale simply because um, when John Angelos talks, he says the team will never leave Baltimore, but he doesn't address the sale at all. And of course, maybe he can't, but I, I feel like that there's you know there are a lot of people out there, and certainly possibility of a sale. Do John and Louis Angelos like owning the Orioles, or do you see them more as guys who ultimately don't want to be owners in Major League Baseball? But I don't know if they like it or not, but I feel like um, they're, they're, they're very different kinds of owners. Um, you know, John um, lives in Nashville with, with his wife who's in the country music industry. He splits time. He comes, I mean, I, I see him occasionally in Baltimore. He definitely comes to Baltimore. He's definitely engaged with the team. Now, I never thought for a second he would move the team to Nashville. That's something that the suit kind of suggests. Don't, I just I think that, that that will not happen. But would John, if he had the opportunity to sell, um, would, would he do that? I, I think, you know, he, I think he might. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. And the, the other thing, too, by the way, I should mention as I'm talking about this, because we don't have John's response to the lawsuit, um, I got to be careful and just say, you know, this is this is all what's on Lou's mind at this point. Um, and, and Lou obviously is very angry at his brother. Yeah, <laughs> that's been conveyed uh, quite clearly. So it was in 2020 that John Angelos was named Orioles chairman and CEO. Like I said, Peter Angelos has been in failing health for years. Do we know the state of Peter Angelos? I mean, does he have an opinion on this Louis Angelos lawsuit of John and Georgia Angelos? Is Peter Angelos bedridden? Um, do we know where we are right now with the health of Peter Angelos? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not doing great. And the answer is he's, he's, he's not well enough to, to be. He doesn't take visitors anymore, I'm told. And he's not well enough to be involved with the club. So, so that, that's why... The, the family, according to the suit, had had a meeting and, and his wife, Georgia, was given power of attorney. Um, yeah, at this point, it, you know, Peter is 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 not involved. And, and you know, it, it kind of reminds me, I, I didn't watch that much of it, but there, there's a show, Succession, and it kind of reminds me of that. You know, I, and I and you probably know families. I know families that that everything seemed to be OK. And then the the patriarch of the family either died or became very ill. And, and all of a sudden the assets in the estate were all kind of out there for the taking. And then things got a little bit ugly, you know, and, you know, just presented with that much money and that much power, um, things kind of went south. And I feel like that's, that's a little bit of what happened with the Angelos family. Yeah, as you know, as everyone listening knows, money makes people do wild things. We're discussing the Angelos family feud and the future of the Masson dispute between the Nationals and the Orioles with Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. So if the Orioles get sold, that obviously could mean that Masson gets sold. Could a sale of Masson ultimately bring us to an ending, finally, in the Masson dispute?
You don't, you don't take the Nashville like that by any chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They had control of their own TV network. I, I've been hearing about that for, for years. But no, I think that's a possibility. I, I think, I mean, if, if I laid out the possibilities, um, there would be a, a few of them. And, and clearly, one would be that that then the Nats have, have, have control of their own TV network and TV rights. And, and by the way, they... they What's, what's intriguing about this is, as you, you, you know, of course, that the Nats may be for sale and the O's might be for sale. So so that could trigger a mass in settlement in, in either case, right, involving either team. You, you know the Nats want to have control of their own TV rights. But what's interesting legally is that the Orioles point this out, and you know the history of this. It, it could get complicated because this, this agreement for, for the Orioles to control the entire TV market was supposed to be in perpetuity. It, there's no no end date to that. And Peter Angelos, you know, wh- whatever you think of him, ever the shrewd negotiator, did this because, as you know, back at, back at the time before the Nets arrived from Montreal, that 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 TV market was all Baltimore's, and it goes down to like North Carolina, and and the Orioles, you know, they did studies showing like you know thirty percent of the fan base for the Orioles came from Washington. So 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 Peter Angelos said this was absolutely needed to protect the viability of the Orioles franchise. So, so for that to go away could be a blow to Baltimore as a small market team. Of course, I, that, that's, that's the Orioles side. The Nats side is completely different. They, they say it's unfair that, that another team is controlling their TV. It really is incredible that Masson was set up to be a deal in perpetuity. I mean, <laughs> that really is remarkable when you think about that. So not to take a complicated situation and make it even more complicated, but if the Nationals did get out of the Masson deal, uh, then what for the Nats in terms of local television? Uh, You know, there was this interesting item in the Washington Post. This was in a piece that came out on June 6th. Quote, according to Kagan, the media research division of S&P Global Market Intelligence, Masson's subscriptions have fallen from 5.6 million in 2018 to 3.6 million this year, end quote. In this cord-cutting environment, starting your own regional cable sports network doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So what do you think that the Nats would be thinking were they to finally gain full control of their local television rights? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, um, I don't know the, the specifics on Masson, but I know for the, for, for the reason of cord-cutting, Almost all the regional sports networks are not doing as well, but but I, I think they 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 want to control the Nats would like to control their own rights, but clearly you you got to look ahead to the future, and and clearly the future is not a a, a network like as Masson is now. I mean, Masson was I'm going to be honest is a little slow to to come into the present day um, as far as is as what it was offered and i feel like maybe the nets would would start from scratch what what is what what would a regional television network look look like today um how, how you know it would it, it would have to be kind of a la carte you'd have to really focus on streaming i mean it's it's it would be a a, a whole different kind of a deal i i just think that they they, Washington would like to have that option, and Baltimore says we we need we continue to need that revenue if we're gonna we're gonna make it in Baltimore. With the Nats being up for sale to at least some extent right now, 
And with the Orioles potentially being up for sale at some point here soon, do you think that Major League Baseball would allow for not just two MLB teams to be up for sale at the same time, but two MLB teams so close together to be up for sale at the same time? Yeah, I think it's a good point. But I, here's what I wonder, though. So, so Major League Baseball controls the process to an extent. Like they, you know, people have been telling me for, for you know, for a year. I hear the Orioles are, are, are being sold, and I always say, no, no, they're not because they can't do a backroom deal because Major League Baseball needs to vet the prospective buyers. And admit they got to submit the background checks. And, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like baseball maybe wouldn't like to have the Nats and O's up for the same time. But I wonder if baseball could, if, if the owner, if the Lerner family and the Angelos family went to baseball and said, we want to sell, and it happened to be around the same time, I don't know if baseball could say no, right? Because they don't own the team, the Angelos and the Lerner family on the team. So they might not have a choice. But it is a, it's a great dynamic. And, and one thing that one guy pointed out to me last week was that if, if the Nat and he, this person's thinking the Nats would be the first one sold because the Orioles probably, if, if they're sold, it's going to take a while. And, and for, for tax reasons, it might not happen while Peter Angelos is living, I'm told. It might happen after that. But, but this person said if the Nats were up, there'd be only one one winner, right? One, one ownership group. And then you'd have all these fully capitalized and vetted other people also available. And then they might go after Baltimore. Of course, the Orioles, I think, would have suitors in their own right. But it's interesting. You might have a, I mean, if, if they were on the market at the same time, I mean, you know, you could have a dozen or more ownership groups going after one team or the other. And some of them might care, might not care that much which one they get. They, they, there's just a big market out there of wealthy, wealthy people who want to own a major team. Yeah, what you say makes a lot of sense. The Orioles this past March were valued by Forbes as being worth $1.375 billion. Uh, that made the O's the only MLB team to have declined in value from 2021. Uh, what do you make of that and why do you think that the O's were the only MLB team to have declined in value from 2021 per Forbes? Yeah, I think uh, boy, there. I think there could be a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I, I I think one of them is one of them is Masson because it's complicated. Um, I think I think one of them is the perception of Baltimore. So so I I I loved. I love The Wire, and I love We Own This City, both at, you know, the HBO miniseries. They're, they're fabulous shows. Unfortunately, they show Baltimore in not the light that Baltimore would like to present it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm taking nothing away from David Simon, who used to work at the Baltimore Sun, or Justin Fenton, who's the author. You know, it's, it, it, they're great shows, but the perception of Baltimore has, has not gone up, and it's gone down, I think, in recent years because of the, you know, it's just so unfortunate they're trying so hard to, to solve the, the crime rate. But I feel like that's a factor because it's harder to get fans into the ballpark as well. Uh, having said that, the O's, I, I want to say something nice now about the O's and Dallas. They, they, they have, you know, as you know, they got a ton of minor league talent. Um, and I feel like you don't, don't, don't devalue the O's too much because They've got Adley Rushman. They've got you know three or four more very highly ranked minor league guys in their system. Being stocked with young talent, you know, because they've been bad for so long, 
I, I think that's to their advantage. And I feel like if they got good again, I think you'd see a, a, a spike in attendance. I'm curious about this. In the city of Baltimore, is it that the Ravens are the number one sports topic by far, or is it that the Orioles still are very much a big part of Baltimore sports conversation? I think the the O's will never fade away that much. There's so many old-time O's fans. Unfortunately, I'm using the word old-time. I I don't know how, how many young fans they're getting but i feel like they'll always have a strong base there, there's so much history camden yards helps a lot right just a gorgeous ballpark still uh so but but i think i think the ravens are number one and i think boy that and that that's you know lamar jackson's number one i mean it's amazing you know the ravens were good under joe flacco as you know when he was quarterback but lamar jackson is so hugely popular that he's vaulted the the Ravens to the top, I think, at this point by a lot. Uh, You this past Friday reported that MLB has encouraged Cal Ripken Jr. to become a part of a potential new ownership group for the Orioles. Uh, What is the deal between Cal Ripken Jr. and the Angelos family? Is there a fracture? Is there heat between Ripken and the Angelos family? Because it certainly seems like a guy like Cal Ripken Jr. should have been much more involved with the O's over the years uh, than Cal has been involved with the team. Yeah, something happened. And you will hear people say in Baltimore that the you know one of the biggest problems with the Angelos family regime is that they never got Cal in there. So I don't want to say there's a break, but I want to say that there clearly was never a meeting of the minds either because because Cal, as you know, has has flirted with different teams in the past. I mean, I remember one time hearing a rumor about Cal possibly going to the Nats and being in their management team. Right. So so something clearly happened. I, I don't know what. But um, but I I think that I think if the right position came along, I don't know if we're talking about CEO or president or or what it would be with the club. But I, I think. I think Cal might jump at it. And, and so, yeah, it could, it could happen in Baltimore. Hey, it could happen in Washington. You know, if Washington reshuffles, I, I know, uh, that, you know, new ownership, you know, may, may be very well happy with the Nats front office at this point. But, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Cal ends up, uh, you know, uh, in management or ownership of a team somewhere. Final question for you. Peter Angelos bought the Orioles in August 1993 for $173 million. Uh, It really is something to see that price tag all these years later. So we've had nearly 30 years of ownership of the O's by the Angelos family. I think most people would say that the Angelos family has not done a good job as the ownership group for the O's. Uh, To that, you say what? Fair or unfair? Well, I, I say yes and no. I, now, first of all, if you're, I'll answer the question about Baltimore, Washington, it's stunning how much he's he's disliked, and maybe people shouldn't be surprised because I know for years Peter Angelos was was thought of as the guy that was preventing a team from from coming to DC, and there was some truth to that. I mean, there was probably there was a lot of truth to that because he clearly wanted the Washington market for himself. But I'll say this in Baltimore: yeah, there are a lot of people. Who, who don't like him and b- because the O's did have that string of losing seasons. At the same time, though, that I, that he, I, I don't want to say that he's universally disliked at all. That wouldn't be the case. And here's the reason, because he's intensely devoted to Baltimore, right? And so you get, I mean, if you look at right now, the fear in Baltimore is that out-of-towners will come in in an ownership group and move the team. So Peter 
is the ultimate Baltimore guy, right? Been there, you know, his whole life, you know, big law firm in Baltimore, just devoted to Baltimore, was never going to move. And now his sons are saying the same thing. And I feel like that's in, in this era, you know, of kind of gypsy owners, you know, that that's that's really important to, ha to have a, a local guy. So. So, yeah. So for that reason, I think he's you know, I think there's kind of mixed feelings, but pe people at the same time, people feel um, so, some gratitude toward him as well. Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun, has been all over the Angelos family feud, has covered the Masson dispute for years. Jeff. I have a lot of respect for the work that you do. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and all the best to you. Yeah, I, I feel the same, Al. Thanks very much. About, I feel the same about you, by the way, not about me. But about <laughs> you. So, thank you. <laughs>I think we always have been 
pretty good at getting deals done if people are willing. And, you know, like if I, my job is to do the best job for the Wizards, and that's to get the best talent. So if it's through the draft, if it's through a trade, through its free agency, we've looked at all those. I, I think we're going to continue to do that. I, I think you talk to every team ahead of you for sure. You know, but it's at what's the cost and what is it they're looking for. Sometimes you can have all the strenuously and enthusiastically you can possibly come at, but if you don't have what they want, you got to, okay, what's, what's next? We move on. But I, I think this draft has some really good options where we're at. I think you can move back and still get something similar, but moving up is always a, a indicator that hey, there's a talent that you're – don't feel it's going to be there when you draft at 10. Well, what's the cost to give that up? Is it going to cost a starter, a young player, future pick? If those are the things we're willing to do whatever it takes, then, then you got to go all in. But you have to have a, a dance partner that's willing to do that too. All right. Uh, another thing to be thinking about with the Wizards in the 2022 NBA draft has to do with their new big three. Now, the Wizards over the years have had multiple big threes. Never forget that Wizards owner Ted Leonsis in April 2011 deemed John Wall, Andre Blatch, and Jordan Crawford as a Wizards big three. And yes, I said Andre Blatch, as in the former captain of the Wizards. This is your captain, Andre Blatch. Yes, that's right. Dre, the captain. Andre Blatch, the captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Uh, yes, that did happen. Andre Blatch was a captain of the Wizards. And yes, Ted Leonsis at one point christened John Wall, Andre Blatch, and Jordan Crawford as a Wizards big three. Well, the Wizards' latest big three is Bradley Beal, Chris Dabbs, Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma. Uh, every indication is that Beal is about to opt out of his contract so that he can re-sign with the Wizards via that Supermax contract. But Porzingis and Kuzma know this. Each guy has a player option for the 2023-2024 season. So this big three of Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma may only last for one season because both Porzingis and Kuzma can opt out of their contracts after this coming season. You know, the Wizards have undergone a lot of change over the last few years. More change could be coming. What would be lovely, of course, would be for the Wizards with their number 10 overall pick on Thursday night to get themselves a superstar. The Wizards in each of the last three NBA drafts have gotten solid players via first-round picks. Rui Hachimura, in 2019, Denny Abdia in 2020, Corey Kispert in 2021. But what about rolling the dice on Thursday night at number 10 on a high upside potential superstar? Rui Hachimura, Denny Abdia, and Corey Kispert are solid players to varying degrees, but nobody's looking at any one of those guys as a potential superstar. What about taking a shot on a high upside potential superstar? come Thursday night. As you probably know, two of the best players in the NBA right now were taken outside of top 10s in NBA drafts. The Milwaukee Bucks took the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, with the number 15 pick in the 2013 NBA draft. The Denver Nuggets took Nikola Jokic in the second round in the 2014 NBA draft. Here was more from Tommy Shepard on Monday. I think, you know, to, to say our season's going to come down to who we drafted 10, well, you know, we probably wouldn't ever want to do that to the to that poor kid coming in the door, and that'd, that'd be short-sighted. 
every draft has really good talent if you're patient enough with it. And if to find those players, you know, the immediate gratification of getting somebody who can go out and make the all-rookie team and do those things, hey, that's great, but can they sustain it? Can they be in the league a long time? Um, for us, there's not a position that we don't need depth in, but I, I don't think we're going to do anything but take the best player available at 10. I think that this time of week, as you head into draft week, it's a really good idea not to pay attention to any noise that's out there. You know, we can move up, we can move out, we can move down. It's all kinds of options that are there, but I, I look at it as, hey, we have the 10th pick in the draft. And so we're going to analyze it, what's best for the Wizards in our future. And I, I like the young players that we've added, but it's still at the end of the games, it's still going to be your top guys that have to bring that game home. You know, the, the, the depth we're going to continue to add. You're right. Stars, how, where do stars come from? You like to say, well, usually you have to have one of the top three picks, but I know Giannis has something to tell you about that. Jokic, some of the last MVPs, international players, by the way, but they didn't come from even in the lottery. So sometimes you have to be patient. You know, I think in, in, in those players' cases, they would tell you that their teams were very patient with them. And so at the 10th pick, I think there's going to be a talent there that can help us for sure. Is it going to help right away? I don't know, but this time last year, I didn't think Kispert was going to help us, and he did. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, big night for the Wizards on Thursday night. Uh, there is not a lot of juice for the Wizards right now. There is not a lot of optimism for the Wizards right now. Uh, now, these things aren't going to magically change on Thursday night, but what happens on Thursday night certainly could lay the foundation for those things to change. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 341, will feature much more on the Commanders. I will have a special guest to talk Commanders with me on the show. Uh, also, on Wednesday show, I'll post game Tuesday night's game one in the 2022 Battle of the Beltways. Uh, Nationals at the Orioles. Game one of a two game series is on Tuesday night beginning at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. This is your captain, Andre Blatt.